Well, John is still in Sardinia, um, probably now uh, incredibly crispy red and uh, absolutely stuffed and bloated with fresh fish. Uh, we thought we would get someone um, who wasn't in that state on. Hopefully, he's not in that state. Anyway, so please welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Palmer. How are you, Mark? Hello, Scotty. Uh, I'm fine, thank you very much. A little bit hot, uncharacteristically in the UK. It is now. This is this is quite strange to me because we are actually located about eight miles apart right now, but we're still using exactly the same internet worldwide technologies to do this recording. <laughs> yes, there we are. The joys of never having to leave your office. Now, uh, for people who have never heard of you, um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm a developer. Been working various technologies for about thirty years commercially now. Uh, and I started doing iOS apps uh, commercially about six or seven years ago. Um, worked on all kinds of things, uh, Java, back-end web apps, uh, done Windows apps, uh, all kinds of things over the years. Uh, and I'm a contractor currently uh, working on iOS and Mac apps. Cool. So basically you're an old codger like me who's probably done more <laughs> and forgotten more than, than you care to remember. Yes, Yes, very much so. So uh, recently you've um, released an open source thingy. I'll call it a thingy for now until we uh, describe it more called um, Flint. So um, that's what we're going to talk about. So I guess the, the first question I'm going to ask you is, what is Flint? <laughs> okay, um, I'm still finding it quite challenging to uh, answer that succinctly, but I'll give it a try. Um, it's Flint is an application framework in the kind of Rails sense, um, not like frameworks that we just pull in uh, generally on the Apple platforms, um, that provides a bunch of infrastructure for you to get rid of a load of boilerplate in apps that integrate well with Apple platforms. So, you know, NS user activity uh, and all the stuff that that brings for handoff and so on. Uh, URL deep linking, in-app purchases, permissions, a uh, whole bunch of things um, that really help you get your apps going uh, much more quickly uh, for things that are going to come down the pipe anyway if you're developing a serious app. Okay, so you've immediately raised a whole bunch of questions there. Um, <laughs> you know, Rails is very much a, a um, do-everything framework. You build your whole app in Rails. Um, but the things you've just listed for uh, Flint are what I would call um, it's not about sticking a view on the screen necessarily or doing your main application flow. I mean, maybe it is, but that's not what you just described. You've just talked about things like handoff and, and, and a bunch of other stuff. So it's a framework in the likeness of Rails, but it's not like a whole taking over your uh, development thing. It's there to use for other things, or is it a case of this is something you buy into or you don't buy into? Oh. No, I mean, the, the Rails analogy is purely in the sense that this is um, it's something you build apps with, uh, but you're not restricted to a specific UI technologies or anything like that. Um, it's just not, um, it's not just a library you pull in, it is also a way of doing things. Uh, so there are conventions used uh, to define, say, the features and actions of your application, which is something you don't see very much in the kind of Apple land frameworks. Okay, and what was it that made you want to build this framework? For a long time, through all my uh, development career, uh, these recurring themes kept coming up. Um, 
uh, one of which was whenever I have to debug problems and crashes in whatever app uh, technology I'm using, I typically don't know what the user was actually doing it at a high level. I get a crash report and a stack trace, but I don't know were they opening a certain kind of document and then doing a certain kind of activity after having done other things. Uh, and that always troubled me. Uh, and thinking about that stuff and moving more into the Apple world and all the challenges with things like deep linking um, and uh, permissions and so on, I realised after a while that I could join these ideas all together uh, if I could find a way to express what the user was doing at the, at the current time. And that was what I did back in, I think it was maybe November, December last year. I had my euphoria, not, not euphoria, eureka moment uh, with Swift and a way to do this in a type safe way. Uh, so I felt passionately enough to actually build something open source um, and get it going to see if I could get other people interested. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about your your decision to do this open source a little bit later on, but um, just to keep the, the flow on where we're going, man. So uh firstly let's uh, establish some boundaries for the framework is this an ios only framework uh no not at all it's uh, very much uh, for all apple platforms and that's one of the powerful things about it is that when you create your app um you can define the features uh that you support uh, across all of the platforms uh in a way that is uh doesn't require you to do all kinds of nasty compiler defines uh which is one of the uh, the big things with it. Um, those those things can get pretty nasty. Uh, we'll we'll probably cover some of the new uh, iOS twelve stuff later, and uh, I'll explain more then. Okay, so I mean, you've mentioned the word features a couple of times now, and I think you've also mentioned the word actions a couple of times now. Um, I, I think it'd be really good to ensure that if we're going to speak about this more, that everyone understands what you mean when you use that. So, in the context of uh, using Flint as a, a framework and a methodology in writing your iOS or Mac app, what do you mean when you talk about features and actions? Okay, um, a podcast app is quite a good example to think about in this uh, in this case. Um, with a podcast app, you would I would consider uh, the playback is a feature, um, and actions uh, of that would be starting and stopping, uh, for example. Another feature would be smart speed, for example, something like Overcast or Castro. They have features like that. Um, and actions within features are the kind of high-level activities that users will perform to interact with that feature. And the idea is that by thinking about your app in this slightly different way, or perhaps just more explicitly rather than implicitly, because we, we all have features in our apps, we know about that, but we haven't thought about them as isolated things uh, often, um, if you do that and you create this hierarchy of features, um, you can essentially control whether or not those actions can be performed uh, very easily, uh, which gives you a lot of powerful stuff in terms of uh, feature flagging and um, restricting things to in-app purchases, for example. So in, again, in the case of a podcast app, uh, smart speed feature is not always available. It's available if you've paid. Um, so you can flag that feature as uh, something that requires an in-app purchase and your code won't be able to execute it unless they have purchased. Okay, so um, it sounds like Flint is based around the concept of features and actions and it's a, a framework for helping with this. So yeah, uh, 
how do I define features and actions in Flint or, or what do they look like or, or give me you know, give me some concept of what my app is going to look like when I'm now defining features and actions in an app? Sure. Um, all you have to do, and then just to be clear here, that uh, Flint is a Swift-based framework because it's using a lot of uh, the type system uh, features in Flint. Sorry, in Swift. Um, you create uh, types that conform to the feature protocol that Flint defines to define features. And there's some properties, some static properties you define, such as the name description. Uh, and if it's a, if it's a feature group, i.e. it's a, you know, it contains other sub features, you have a list of sub features there that you define, and this is all done statically. So, uh, you end up with a bunch of feature classes in your code, um, that, uh, also reference a bunch of action classes that, uh, conform to the action protocol. Um, so, and using protocol extensions, the default implementations of most of these properties and functions are already provided for you. Uh, so it's a very nice, concise way of modelling this information in your app. So whereas in the past we would possibly consider modelling our domain based on, on entities in the domain, um, this is a similar, but you're modelling it on a feature and then an action within a feature, and it, and it turns out to be a set of set of classes uh yes exactly uh and you can you would include typically these classes in all of your targets if you're making a cross-platform app uh so that you have this information in one place you don't have to worry about conditional defines and so on and they they, these are all very lightweight pieces of code it's very unobtrusive Um, but this allows us to with uh, features for example um have there's a, a way to apply constraints to features. Uh, so if you create a feature that conforms to the conditional feature protocol, you then have to supply a list of constraints, uh, which could include platform restrictions, uh, platform version restrictions, uh, in-app purchase restrictions, a whole bunch of stuff. So basically what you're saying is, is on the whole, a feature, and I assume similar with action, is basically... Uh, something that is just going to give you a whole bunch of information which you can then use to decide if something is used or not used or how it's yes yes and in in just the way that um, many apps uh, these days already have feature flagging built into them in some kind of way usually it's quite a uh, quite a simplistic way uh, that people build this in um, that you want to gate whole chunks of functionality based on uh, some criteria uh, and the idea behind this is that you can formalize that in a really nice, clean, uh, short run of code uh, that says, for example, uh, the required permissions are photos and camera access on this feature. And then you don't have to worry about the rest of that. And you, you are actually forcibly prevented from performing actions on those features unless those conditions are met. So are these feature classes um, primarily code that is there for um, defining the existence of and rules of a feature or do you also effectively implement the feature in the feature no it's uh, it is metadata this is comes back to the whole rail the rails thing in a sense these are is convention over configuration so you, you define some static properties and a couple of functions that receive uh, typically receive like a, a builder instance that you can call functions on to build up the data about it. And Flint itself retains this information and uses it uh, when you uh, later come to invoke actions. So actions are the unit of work that you can do. 
uh, and they provide the. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know if you, if, if you're old enough to uh, remember aspect-oriented programming in in the Java world, but there are, there are things there in aspect-oriented programming called uh, advice points. I think they were called. Um, so basically, you could hook into the execution of certain functions in an app retrospectively. And now we can't do that in Swift. Um, but uh, the action mechanism gives us that hook. It gives us a type. We can hang this, uh, these extra notifications off to make Flint do all the magical stuff. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this. And I may not be, so please feel free to correct me. Is An, an action is a piece of code that does something. And an action, that the availability and way that action can be used is configured within the features. Absolutely, 100% correct. Yes, you're following along very well. It's very hard to talk about code <laughs> in this kind of way, but yes, you're correct. And what do you do when you actually um, want to perform an action is you uh, you ask the... Um, so I need to uh, backtrack slightly. You bind actions to features. This is part of the definition of the features. So you'll have a static uh, property, uh, say, uh, enable smart speed, on your smart speed feature, and that would be assigned uh, a value that comes back from an action function that Flint provides, uh, and you pass in the action type. So that sets up a binding between the feature and the action, so you can reuse actions across different features if needed. Anyway, so in your code, you will then do uh, smart speed feature dot enable smart speed dot perform, and that will allow you to perform that action. Um, but if it's a conditional feature, you can't do that. We use the Swift uh, type system to prevent that. Uh, so you first have to call uh, smart speed feature dot enable smart speed dot request to see if you can even perform that action. And if you do, you get an object back that you can then call perform on. Okay, so really this is a... Um a very defined way of making only certain things available uh, in certain instances, whether it be because you've paid in for an in-app purchase, whether it be because you're on an old device or a new device. I guess the way you configure that is all up to you. But the point is, by toggling certain things, other things toggle what's available and not available. And if your app is following the convention of checking if something's available before it does something, then all that work is going on through this configuration as opposed to you filling your your code up with lots of conditional compile defines or or if statements or implementing your own feature flagging type of system yes uh, exactly but it's actually uh, it's better and more powerful than that because because of the type system restrictions it is not possible for you to blindly perform a conditional uh, sorry an action that is part of a conditional feature in the code it's just not possible the compiler won't even allow it you have to call this request mechanism and you're forced then to deal with the eventuality in the code that the feature may not be available, which is one of the most tricky things about, uh, you know, uh, optional features. Well, so, so we've got this whole stuff set up. How does, how does this lot interact with the UI? I mean, what I've, I've configured this stuff, I've worked it all out, but, you know, we have views, we have forms, we have segues, and, you know, how, how, you know, how do I link all this stuff up? Yeah, uh, well, Flint is... Uh, there's a lot of change going on in this space uh, on Apple platforms and potentially more coming around the corner. Um, so I deliberately made a decision to not mandate any particular pattern here. So what you have is almost a, a kind of functional pattern in that when you define an action, there's one function you have to implement on it called perform. And that takes uh, 
a context as input and it takes a presenter type and you are able to do whatever you like with that so if you're making uh, just an iOS app you might pass in a UI navigation controller as a presenter but in, uh, in cross-platform apps you may not you'll abstract things and typically this seems to work out better I'm, I'm learning this uh, as I go along as well but having a, a protocol that has is it like a micro interface of just the things those kinds of actions need to do with the UI uh, decouples you completely from the UI. Um, so again, with the smart speed feature that we were talking about, the smart speed uh, might take uh, smart speed action might take a smart speed status presenter protocol as its presenter instance, and it would call presenter dot uh, show smart speed is enabled. So you've completely decoupled it from the UI, and then your view controller can conform to that protocol uh, and do what needs to be done in the UI to show the status. So you define your own protocols, and then you make your view controllers or your views or your whatever it might be, or whatever platform conforms to those protocols. So your actual actions never know what type of UI they're dealing with. They're just talking to an interface, and then that deals with the results of that. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it's a bit of a, a wrangle at first mentally, uh, but it, it seems to work very well. I'm building a couple of apps using this. Um, and it's, it's very nice that you, you, I mean, your action code is usually very lightweight. It just has to, you know, wire, if you can talk to some other services or components you've got to do whatever needs to be done. And then it uh, updates the presenter uh, and, it, and then indicates that it's completed successfully or not to Flint. Uh, so doing it this way, you can use storyboards or you could use zibs or you could just do everything yeah. in code. It's up to you. Yeah, exactly. So can it, yeah, you know me uh, and how I, I, I like storyboards and interface builder. Um, and I do that ex- exact thing in apps. So I'll have the presenter protocol. will have something like uh, show such and such editor. And in that presenter's implementation in the view controller, it will then perform a segue after setting up some model data. Uh, and off it goes. Cool. So, I mean, this sounds like it's a really, it sounds to me like the biggest thing about Flint is you have to decide that you're prepared to think in a certain way um, to to make it work. So, uh, assuming that I've made the decision, I can can live with that, I can can do that. Uh, Is this something that I'm only going to be able to really use, you know, if I start an app from scratch or can I sort of make it work with a bit of my app if it's already around and yeah, maybe what if I've got some crusty old Objective-C code? So how does it, how does it sort of, you know, what, what should I be sort of thinking on Greenfield versus, you know, existing versus maybe even Objective-C? Sure. Um, there's no reason to have to convert an entire app to this. You can say you want to add a new f- feature to your application that is uh, in-app purchase-based and requires photo permissions and it only runs on iOS but you, you have a cross path, otherwise your app's cross-platform. You just have to define the feature type uh, that has those constraints on it, and you define the actions, uh, and then you know you program to this action model, as, uh, as we just discussed. Uh, and there's one other line of code you need to add to your app, which is just to set up Flint in your app delegate. You do flint.quicksetup, and there's a couple of arguments there. Um, so really, there's, there's no reason not to be able to mix and match. Uh, the only... The only issues would be uh, in Objective-C, you will struggle because you'll have to make some kind of 
wrappers around uh, the actions to be able to perform them yourself because we use Swift generics uh, and uh, protocols with associated types and things like that. Uh, which is great because it gives you type safety when you perform actions. It's impossible to pass the wrong kind of input type to an action and the wrong kind of presenter. Uh, but it does unfortunately mean that uh, Objective-C can't directly invoke actions. Okay, so we, we've dug down into a reasonable amount of detail and you know, had a reasonably wide overview. So let me, let me go back to you know, maybe a goal question now um, and say, okay, so you, you've raised my interest, you've whet my appetite, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should check this Flint thing out. You know, uh, you know, what's the biggest or easiest win I'm going to get by just grabbing Flint and giving it a go? Yeah, I think um, I mean, what, one of the things we haven't tackled uh, or mentioned yet is that because of the virtue uh, of Flint knowing what actions you're performing and the context that they exist in in your application's graph of features, um, there's a whole bunch of logging stuff that's built in. Uh, it's, there's plenty more development to do on that front. Uh, but this is incredibly valuable because basically you can shut down all of your logging uh, apart from any logging related to a single feature in your app, which is incredibly useful for debugging. Um, but uh, aside from that one, there, I think the system permissions is perhaps one of the biggest wins because you can set up uh, on a per-feature basis the system permissions required. And there's, uh, I can't remember exactly how many, but there's something between 15 and 20 different ones for different APIs. And if you're working with combinations of these, things can get very complicated very quickly. Uh, But it's really, really easy to do. And Flint will even help uh, you have a really high quality onboarding experience when requesting permissions. There's a a controller it provides. So you you say to Flint, just, I need to use this feature go and request all the permissions required from the user and then it will give you a controller that each step of the way you can pop up your own API that says hey we're about to ask for camera access please say yes to this because you want to use this funky feature uh, so that, that that is incredibly powerful uh, I've used that in uh, several apps so far okay I mean that sounds like a, a great way of especially if you're going to introduce a new feature that requires a new set of permissions great time to have a look at this uh, okay, so you, you mentioned the logging, um, which again, and I think in the opening you mentioned how you got fed up with not knowing where you were in the app. And so it sounds like you're logging and it's helping you to know that, you know, this didn't just crash. This crashed while we were doing this action on this feature, um, which sounds incredibly useful. So maybe just, just talk us a little bit more through, you know, um, you know how, how else this helps with debugging in, in Flint um, or Flint helps with debugging or any other sort of debugging tools or anything else around the debugging side that that this helps with okay yeah i mean there's quite a lot there's a a lot more to be developed on it but so far uh we have the idea of action stacks so the app uh sorry flint tracks the actions the user performs in the app because of course we have this uh this knowledge now as we formalized it and it also captures a representation of the inputs as well so you actually have a history of what the user has done at a high level in your app uh, so say they toggled uh, smart speed on and off three times in a row uh, and then they played the iDeveloper podcast you can see all of that information there uh, we don't persist this information currently but that is on the roadmap and you'll be able to then attach that to your own crash report so you can see in great detail what they've been doing Um, And that's even broken out into action sessions. So if you have stuff that goes on in the background in your app, you could have a separate background action stack uh, separate from the main one. Um, And aside from that, the the actual basic 
logging that goes on also has cited all this information, the inputs to all the actions uh, and the context in which they're being executed. So that enables you, as, as mentioned, to do this kind of filtering, um, which is incredibly useful. Uh, and in fact, we also have OS log support built in now. So you can turn on uh, OS log monitoring of um, all action execution, for example, and uh, you don't have to get any of that stuff on the uh, system command line, and, uh, sorry, system output. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, 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 don't let me interrupt you if you still have more to say. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, casting my mind back. There's a bunch, there's actually a Flint UI framework that's iOS only, which provides uh, a bunch of useful debug UIs. So you can, uh, with a couple of lines, add this to your app um, behind a, you know, a debug uh, button or, or gesture. Uh, and you can browse through all of the features in your app, all of the actions, the current status of the permissions. So you can see uh, if there are anomalies there in the current behavior of the app during testing. Uh, you can browse the action history. Uh, and you can browse the actual uh, logs as well. Uh, and there's also a gather report feature that's integrated into all of this. So you can export uh, through a share sheet uh, a zip file containing all of the, the logs from all of these different features. I mean, it sounds really, really cool. Uh, okay, so you started developing this towards the end of 2017. Um, we've just, as we're recording this, you know, just a, a sort of few weeks past 2018. Um, anything that caused you concern? Um, not concern. Um, there's some great stuff, actually. Um, if we were already using Flint in our apps, uh, we'd all be getting Siri suggestions for free very soon. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I've already have a, a branch in progress for that, which is uh, it's really interesting. And there's a whole bunch of uh, Siri intent integrations I think I'll be able to uh, do with this, so that you'll be able to write uh, your actions and just uh, indicate that you want to be part of the Siri prediction mechanism and what your suggested phrase is. Uh, and then suddenly, as well as having all the handoff and spotlight search integration for free, you've got the Siri spotlight stuff. Sorry, uh, Siri shortcut stuff as well. So that that was very nice. Um, I do have a bit more work to do on that front over the summer. Um, one thing that would be nice to integrate as well is the new OS signal support. I don't know if you saw that. Um, it lets you uh, emit text into uh, instruments at a certain point. So, you know, we could potentially automatically output OS signal every time certain actions of certain features are performed when you're debugging, for example. Yeah, I think the the inter new integration with um, uh, your user customizable points in instruments uh, to know what's going on would work very well with the features and actions of knowing this feature, this action, you know, at these points in in for doing your memory debugging or your or whatever else would be. I see those two gelling very well. Yes, yeah, it's great. Um, in general, uh, the 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 way Apple is continuing to leverage NS user activity as well. It, it's fantastic because we get everything for free pretty much once we've done uh, actions. Okay, so this is an open source framework. Um, so traditionally, if you're releasing something that's not open source, you know, you don't, you know, anything before 1.0 is, you know, a beta release. And then when 1.0 comes out, you tend to use it and wait for 1.1. But however, in open source, you know, anything from 0.01 seems to sometimes be usable. So, uh, a couple of questions here. Firstly, 
you know, um, it's obviously not at one zero release. I'm not sure where what you're calling it right this moment we're talking. Um, but is is it usable now by people? And equally, what is the goal for the one zero release? And you know, should people be waiting for that? You know, so what's the roadmap for one zero? Where are we now? Should people use it? I guess is the question I'm asking. Yeah, um, it is usable right now. Uh, it is ostensibly a one point early access. Um, for some reason, I'd prefer to start things at 1.0. I suppose it should be 1.0.12 and things like that as I do each change. But um, yes, it's certainly usable now. The only thing is that there may still be some API changes. Um, you know, I'm still really keen to get input from people on uh, on the ergonomics of the APIs uh, and getting that right. Most of it is uh, very settled now. Uh, but uh, but yes, it's to- totally usable. And but the goal is for 1.0 to have uh, a whole bunch of things uh, finished off, which uh, includes coverage of all of the permission types in the system. About uh, eight or nine of those are done already. And um, I'm trying to think. Yes, yeah, some uh, persist the persistent logging stuff, so that people can wire up their own crash reporting um, to to export. You know the extra log information that we'll have. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, yeah, we need some example uh, analytics. We haven't talked about this at all. Uh, Extra analytics support because, again, by virtue of having actions, you can just set a single property on actions, the analytics ID to whatever you like uh, for your analytics system, and then plug in uh, your analytics backend as an action observer. Uh, and then you no, have, no longer have to worry about uh, capturing analytics anymore. Um, but so we need some examples for some of the common analytics platforms for that. Cool. So people can go and then try it now. Um, it sounds like you said it's 1.0 early access, so maybe a few changes, but otherwise really robust. So uh, how can people experiment with it, You know, or, or even better, make contributions to it? I'm, I'm assuming you're taking contributions. Yes, they can go to flint.tools where there is documentation, uh, the GitHub repository, uh, and a separate GitHub re- repository for Flint Demo iOS, which is a fully functional demo app you can check out and build. Yeah, so check out the uh, the Flint Demo iOS project uh, and build that, uh, which has the debug interfaces in it. It's a little functioning notes app that has some photo cap- capture stuff. Um, and I, I even have a branch that has uh, Add to Siri for shortcuts at the moment. Uh, that's a great way to start. Uh, and essentially just to try to think in terms of features and actions and see how you get on. And if you need to talk, there's a, a Slack that we'll also provide the link to. Uh, and we're very happy to help. Cool. So um, let's go back to the question I said I would ask, Aaron. Uh, um, did you, I mean, you've, you've chosen to do this open source. And I guess my first question is, you know, why open source? Uh, and did you ever consider doing it as a closed framework or maybe even a paid for framework? Um, okay, yeah, closed and paid for, no, uh, not at all. Open source, I have a love-hate relationship with open source. I, I did a lot of open source on a, a different platform a while back, um, but I think I'm better at it now. <laughs> I think uh, I, one of my, my main be- beliefs is that making apps shouldn't be nearly as hard as it is. Uh, we have lovely platforms from Apple, but... They don't feel very modern at the best of times uh, in terms of the APIs. When you, especially when you've tried other other platforms like uh, you know Rails and Grails and things like that, um, and there are too many sharp edges. Uh, and I really want to try and 
improve the ergonomics of all of this stuff so that we get more high quality apps in the app store that do more deeper integration uh, with things like handoff because uh, honestly i don't know many people who've ever uh, bothered to implement handoff uh, and spotlight search and things like that which it seems a real shame because they're incredibly powerful features that users really enjoy so would it be fair to say that you've gone open source because you hoping that you generally we can get some better apps from it Yes, absolutely, and 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 yeah, you know well. I, I have I have some feelings about the tide of JavaScript uh, based apps, and I think it's incredibly important to remove a lot of the barriers for native app development because it is too hard a lot of the time. There's a lot of extra work required, uh, and all too often, sadly, those things uh, are seen as extra frills and never really get delivered in the end. That's really cool. So, I mean. Um... I'm sort of coming to the end of the, the sort of initial set of questions I want to ask, but you know, is there anything that you're wishing I'd asked you? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, protocols with associated types in Swift and <laughs> the journey of writing this in Swift. Uh, that's actually been an interesting thing. It's taken me, it took me three or four months to come to the pattern for invoking actions, which seems ridiculous because you have one function to call to perform something. But to get there in such a way that you didn't have to know or understand too much in the way of generics and it remains type safe took me a lot of uh, hard work. And because, you, as I'm sure you well know, the protocols with associated types of Swift are very hard to reason about and you can go very far down uh, an architecture before you're finding that uh, it's just not going to work. So... Yeah, there was that. I remember watching your watching your anguish, and you would post in Slack your little victories, and then a couple of days later say, "Well, well maybe not." <laughs> and yeah, and yes. start again. Yes, quite. It was astonishing, really, and I'm not changing that <laughs> that syntax and the architecture anymore. Well, Mark, uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on and us about it. I think it's um, I think it's a very noble aim. Um, uh, I have to say. Uh, your description of it that we've just had over the last 30 minutes is, um, I think, given me a, a very clear picture of what it is and what it can achieve, and hopefully the others have as well. And hopefully a lot of people will go and try it out, and we will put the link to it in the show notes and the, the Slack group. Uh, but what if people want to interact with you personally? Um, you know, how should they do that? Uh, I am uh, Mark Palmer Dev. That's Mark with the C, unfortunately. So M A R C P A L M E R D E V on Twitter, and I'm also Mark with a C at MontanaFloss.co. If anybody wants to email me, I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in this. Uh, it's a big ambition. Uh, maybe in about twelve months' time, or a bit of time, we should we should check back in and see how it's going and. Um... Uh, hopefully you'll be able to give us a long list of all the amazing apps that have been written using Flint as a, as a, as a guide and a, and a way of doing it. I very much hope so. I hope it's not a case of me having turned to drink and uh, and <laughs> got off to live in the woods. <laughs> in which case we won't be having a conversation. We've got very good, very good cellular support. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Scotty. Take care. So that's it for this week. But you know, I realise for some of you, uh, with uh, John having uh, been away for two weeks, you you may be missing the the dulcet tones of his uh, husky, sexy voice. So um, if that is you, 
um, half a listener, uh, then uh, stick around after the uh, exit music because uh, yeah, there's a, a small sample of complete and utter waffle that uh, we recorded when we made a very quick trip to Amsterdam together last week. But uh, until next time, you take care. <laughs> Scotty, I told you this was a good idea. You were all like, no, why do you want to go to Amsterdam? What a, what a, what a foolish notion. But yet, here we are, walking back. It's 24 hours that we've been here. Uh, did you have fun? Sorry, who are you? <laughs> oh my God, I'm not just some random stranger walking down the street here in Amsterdam, taking stock of the glorious work of the Ministry of Squirrels and Road Placement, where every, every little bit of land that's been reclaimed outside the city um, looks kind of rather the same, but orderly and neat and nice, and uh, makes you feel like you're in a place that somebody cares about you. It does. It definitely has a very kept feel to it, doesn't it, John? It just uh, like uh, someone actually does care about the place. Yeah. And then, how do we show our thanks for the, such a place? We leave it, which is good. <laughs> but I think actually the ministry is quite glad that we're leaving because, uh, yeah, it's um, they don't want us scruffing it up a little bit. I mean, yeah, we are a little bit messy in comparison to the uh, the Dutch. That's true, but uh, we're still pretty nice. But it was good to have a chance to kind of catch up with some of the folks we'd we'd known from from Amsterdam over the years and hang out with Mike Lee and Klaus and Samuel and Marga, and gosh, and Alex and Maxie and their lovely daughter um, Zoe, Zoe, Zoe. Um, so yeah, it just it, it feels like uh, almost like a family reunion, doesn't it? It was good. I mean, basically, we came here and we spent 24 hours eating uh, and, and waddling between places and, and just catching up with people, which is a very pleasant way to spend a day. Yeah. And what does this have to do with programming? Really nothing uh, other than you have to remember to take care of yourself and maintain friendships over time because that's just a good thing to do in life. Well, every single one of these people that we've spent a, a day enjoying the company of and eating food with are people we've met through the fact that we are developers either at conferences or at Amsterdam or through jobs we have done. But it's, you know, the social side of these people becoming friends is just as important as the job we did in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's true. And because people are much more likely to help you or give you a perspective on things if you're pleasant and kind to them than if you're mean to them. So shouldn't we always be nice to each other? We should always be nice to each other, John. <laughs> Okay, you can stop punching me now because I've said the things you wanted me to say. Now go back to your own country, you slimy yank. Oh my God, that was so mean. <laughs> Why do you do these things to me? I hope everybody is appreciating the, the hard work we did getting good sound. Here's some, here's some good Foley work of, of, of uh, people walking down a gravelish street. That was my bad imitation of a horse. It's a good thing there's no video of this because I'm sure there is actually. The director of surveillance cameras uh, had, you know, carefully placed cameras amongst the trees and, and bushes as we're walking along here and capturing the depravity. Any moment now we'll be doing the uh, authentic sound of anguish of people who've missed their train. Oh shit! Oh, okay, more soon. <laughs>
Thank you.